and from the darkness he will emerge, bearing gifts of enlightenment and contradiction. The blue box wheezed slowly into existence, materialising out of the ether like a miracle made real, or worse, like something escaping from the very clutches of Hades itself. A young boy, watching with wide eyes from the other side of the plaza, turned and fled at the sight of this ungodly apparition, his feet kicking up clouds of dust as he ran. His shouts of terror could be heard over the din of the nearby marketplace as he lost himself hurriedly in the crowd. A moment later, a door clicked open on the front of the blue box and a figure emerged. He was dressed in a cream-coloured jumper with red trim, a pair of striped trousers and a fawn-coloured blazer that came down to his knees. His hat perched awkwardly on one side of his head like an afterthought. The stem of a green vegetable was pinned to one of his lapels. The man turned round on the spot, examined his surroundings and smiled. It worked! He jammed his hands into his trouser pockets, pushing his blazer back behind his elbows. He looked pleased with himself. Behind him, another figure was clambering out of the strange vehicle. If the man seemed incongruous in the setting, somewhat out of place in the ancient plaza, then his companion looked truly inappropriate. Form-fitting silver shorts and a bright pink shirt tied in a knot at her waist, revealing a large expanse of her midriff. Her brown hair was cut in a short, straight bob which framed her pretty face. It was clear from her complexion and look of unease that she was not a native to these parts. Oh! She pinched her nose dramatically. Doctor, you didn't warn me that the place would smell so bad. The man smiled, drawing the air down deep into his lungs. Uh, You'll soon get used to it, Perry. He adjusted his hat casting his young-looking face in shadow. Constantinople is a sight to behold, one of the greatest cities of its time, of all time, in fact, now you come to mention it. He turned to his companion, his smile evident beneath the brim of his hat. Come on, let's explore, lots to see and do. He turned and strode off in the direction of the marketplace, drawn to the hubbub of voices, sounds and smells. The girl, a look of frustrated resignation on her face, shrugged her shoulders and set off behind him, trying her very best to catch up. The market was, in fact, a seemingly endless warren of stalls and tiny shops, a bazaar selling everything from exotic fabrics to unusual fruit, from roasted pig ears to heady Arabian spices, from tattered scrolls to glittering religious icons. The place bustled with people, and for an ancient city had a metropolitan feel that wouldn't have seemed out of place in another era altogether, Perry thought. She tried to take it all in her stride, but in truth was dazzled by the grandeur of the place, from the towers and spires that dominated the skyline to the street-level interplay between the traders and their busy, bartering customers. She tried to ignore the looks she received as she followed quickly behind the doctor, feeling more than a little exposed. She consoled herself with the notion that her fashion sense was just a little bit ahead of this time period. Doctor, where are we going? The doctor seemed distracted, as if he were trying to remember the way. He hesitated for a moment and then suddenly seemed to get his bearings. Aha! This way, Perry. Full steam ahead. They weaved their way through the crowd for a few minutes before, abruptly, the doctor turned down a side street and promptly disappeared from view. Shaking her head in exasperation, Perry dashed after him, rounding the bend to find him standing at the other end of the deserted street, his hands once more in his pockets, admiring the view. 
He turned to see Perry sidling up beside him. Look at that. Already over 400 years old and still one of the greatest feats of engineering in your planet's history. Perry shielded her eyes from the midday sun and followed his gaze. An enormous church dominated the horizon, its domed roof glittering in the reflected light. Above it, the sky was a perfect powdery blue. On the hillside, all around the immense structure, trees had formed a protective circle. It was a stark contrast to the grey stone walls and marble facades of the buildings they had passed on their short walk through the city, and the tranquillity of the scene was deeply at odds with the scrum of the busy market they'd just left behind them. Perry frowned, her hand on her hip. Don't tell me. I know this one. She clicked her fingers, evidently pleased with herself. Hagia something or other, the famous Byzantine cathedral. But it looks different somehow. Not at all like I remember from the history books back in high school. She cocked her head to one side as if in thought. Remind me, what period did you say this was, doctor? The doctor gave a dismissive shrug. He seemed lost in thought. Oh, uh, uh, late tenth century or thereabouts. In a few more years, the Ottomans will overrun the city and turn the cathedral into a mosque. Eventually, it'll end up as a museum, until the Sarkovians blow up the dome and try to turn it into a power station in the late 41st century, that is. He nodded at the building. Pretty, though, isn't it? Perry was just about to ask him who the Sarkovians were when she was distracted by the sound of shouting from somewhere close behind her. She turned about quickly to see if she could find out what was going on. An old man had stumbled into the street behind them, pursued by a gang of youths. Dressed in simple grey robes and carrying a wooden staff, Perry noticed he appeared to stoop slightly with age and probably malnourishment. His long white beard trailed all the way to his knees, and as far as she could see beneath the grime, his feet were bare and exposed to the elements. He pressed his back up against the side of a nearby house, labouring for breath, and tried to cover his face with the crook of his arm as the mob jeered him angrily. Both Perry and the doctor started towards the scene, ready to wade in and put an end to the apparent abuse, when the old man suddenly dropped his staff, straightened his back and glared at the gathered crowd in defiance. Silence passed through the mob like an infectious ripple. The old man stroked his beard calmly, his eyes flicking from one face to another, eyeing them intently. They waited for him to speak. As Perry drew closer and saw that the crowd was not, as she had first thought, composed entirely of young men, but rather a cross-section of men, women and even children, their faces seemed full of contempt for the old man. He hesitated, and then, just when it seemed the silence couldn't stretch any further, he began to speak. Perry noticed the doctor had inched his way closer and was leaning in, obviously intrigued by what the stranger had to say. I have seen the future! This immediately raised a commotion from the crowd, but the old man waved them quiet as he continued. I have seen the future, and it is a wondrous thing indeed. The doctor glanced at Perry, his eyebrows raised sardonically. Great sailing ships plough the skies above the world, and the human race has conquered the stars. They have tamed the red planet encountered creatures from other worlds and fought great wars with their enemies in flotillas of enormous starships. Machines of light will take men farther than any of you can even begin to imagine 
all the way to the end of the universe and beyond. I have seen these things. I have been gifted with communications from the other end of time. Heed me well, people of Constantinople. I know what will become of you all. At this, the crowd resumed their jeering, and the old man stooped to reclaim his staff from the ground, fending off projectiles of rotten fruit and vegetables that someone near the back of the crowd had searched out and begun launching in his direction. The doctor looked over his shoulder at Perry. She shrugged, unsure what to make of it all. The doctor smiled, but there was a steely glint in his eye. Get ready, we may have to run. He turned and pushed his way to the front of the crowd, manoeuvring through the press of people, one hand holding his hat firmly on his head. He grabbed the old man by the shoulders and turned to face the crowd, affecting a calm and steady tone. Now, now, time to move along. Nothing to see here. He proffered his most charming smile. For a moment, the otherwise steady stream of jeering and shouting stopped once again, as if the hecklers in the audience were unsure how to react to this new stranger, dressed in a bizarre costume, and helping an old charlatan to peddle his nonsense in the street. Then an overripe orange splattered on the wall beside the doctor's head, and the crowd surged forward, almost knocking him off his feet. He managed to maintain his balance, and, putting himself bodily between the old man and the mob, he tried to fend his way through the sea of protesters, who by this point were doing all they could to grab for the old man. Unsure what she could do to help, Perry tried in vain to cover their retreat by hurling pieces of broken and battered fruit back into the crowd, reclaimed from the ground near her feet. Come on, doctor, let's get out of here! It seemed that no one in the crowd truly had the heart for a fight, however, as it didn't take the doctor long to break free from their grip and make a run for it, the aged prophet stumbling along beside him. Perry joined them as they dashed for cover, her heels clicking loudly on the flagstones as they ran. The shouting continued behind them for a while, as did the assault of rotten fruit, some of which rebounded off the doctor's back as he shepherded the old man carefully out of range. They ducked around a corner and tried to lose themselves in the network of small alleyways and side streets that branched off the main thoroughfares through the city. After a few minutes, they were able to prop themselves up against the wall, gasping for breath. The old man looked red in the face and leaned heavily on his staff, wheezing noisily. The doctor, on the other hand, looked positively exhilarated, as though he'd been out for a brisk morning stroll, and the exercise had left him feeling energised and ready for action. He beamed at Perry, who was bracing herself against the wall, her hands on her knees, as she fought for breath. Well, good job I didn't lose my hat. He adjusted it slightly on his head, waiting for the old man to catch his breath. Try to remind me to pick up another spare next time we're in the twentieth century. Perry rolled her eyes. The old man cleared his throat to get their attention. I don't know who you are, but I thank you for your intervention, both of you. He glanced from the doctor to Perry and back again. My name is Mephistus. He broke down into a spasm of coughing and spluttering, waving his hand at the two travellers to indicate that he hadn't finished what he was saying. Perry went to his side. Are you okay? Oh... I'll be fine in a moment, he responded through gritted teeth. He tapped his staff on the floor as if trying to shake the coughing away, and then pulled himself upright, stoically. So, I was right. His eyes gleamed in the light, bright as the sun itself. You're from the future, aren't you? He coughed again, and Perry shot a worried look at the doctor. 
The doctor placed a reassuring hand on the other man's arm. His voice was low, serious. Yes, you were right. But now we have to get you home to rest. We can talk later. He glanced round, then shrugged. Do you have any idea where we are? Mephistus nodded. We're... We're not far from my home. If you can help me to walk a little, I'll show you the way. <clears throat> I'm not as young as I used to be. He favoured Perry with a toothy grin. It took every ounce of her being not to recoil at the sight of the blackened stumps and discoloured gums on display. Forcing herself to return his smile, she helped him to his feet and, putting his arm over her shoulder, set off in the direction he indicated, at a far steadier pace than their craze dashed through the streets just a few minutes before. Mephistus's lodgings were little more than an outhouse, appended to a larger, more substantial complex of buildings that housed the family of a wine merchant. Years ago, he told them, he had educated the eldest son of the merchant, and now, cast out for his proclamations and fast-approaching death, he had fallen on the merchant's pity and begged for his help securing lodgings in the city. The merchant had been kind enough to spare the crumbling stone outbuilding for the old man to use as his own. As they settled him into his chair, it was easy for the doctor and Perry to imagine what would have become of the frail old man if the merchant had not chosen to make him the recipient of his generosity. Presently, Mephistus was sleeping, whilst the doctor and Perry talked in hushed tones in the doorway of the dank, cold room. But, doctor, it's practically a hovel. She waved her arm to indicate the state of the interior. A chair, with snoring incumbent. A reed mattress, a dirt floor, a small table, a pit for a fire and a stack of parchments and books bound in wooden boards. The walls were coated with a thick layer of soot and mould. There was an acrid quality to the air. The stench of poverty. The doctor wrinkled his nose in acknowledgement. Yeah, I can see that, Perry. But it's not his fault he's fallen on hard times. And besides, I think it's absolutely essential that we talk to him further when he wakes up. He seems to know a lot more about the future than he should, concepts that he couldn't possibly have come up with alone. He scratched his head absently as he talked. Oh, doctor, she sounded frustrated. It was just a bunch of old baloney, same as that Nostradamus fella. Oh, possibly this and possibly that. He might as well have been telling a fairy story for all the actual detail he mentioned. The doctor looked whimsical. Ah, Nostradamus, yes. <laughs> Lovely chap. Quite mad. But there's something different going on here, and I don't think it's got anything to do with aliens or exposure to a parasitic phage. Perry shook her head in exasperation. Parasitic phage? Yes. And I don't think Mephistus has been infected. He doesn't have the same scarring round the ears, for a start. I think he's telling the truth. The disbelief was evident on Perry's face. You mean, you think he's actually receiving messages from the future? Yes. I can't explain it any other way. Neither can I. The doctor and Perry turned as one to see Mephistus propping himself up in his chair. His voice was gravelly and tired, full of weariness. Perry looked at the floor, embarrassed. It's all right, young one. You're not the first to accuse me of being a charlatan. How do you think I ended up here? Hmm? I didn't choose this life. I was an educator, a teacher, 
back before the voices started. He coughed again, heaving forward in his chair. The doctor moved to his side, crouching down before him, intent now on hearing his story. Go on. At first, uh, I thought I was going mad. I'd always abhorred the lunatics that patrolled the streets of the city, proclaiming that the world was going to end. I'm an educated man. I deal in mathematics and philosophy. I have no time for idle prophesying and doomsday cults. He stopped to snatch a breath, and Perry found herself leaning against the door jamb, listening intently, despite her earlier scepticism. When the voices started, I was alone. It was late in the night, and I had woken in my lodgings feeling dizzy and nauseous. At first, I had the notion there was someone else in the room, and I panicked, thinking myself in danger. I leapt out of my cot and stumbled, falling to the ground and striking my temple on a chair. When I came to, I had a sore head, and my mind was full of star charts and unfamiliar words. I guessed it might have been a feverish dream. The doctor took his hat off his head and dropped it on the table beside Mephistus. Underneath, his blonde hair was floppy and unkempt. I take it the voices returned later that day. Mephistus nodded ruefully. Indeed, they did. No sooner had I finished transcribing everything I could remember, the voices returned to me again. The same message played over and over in my head. It begins with a man's voice asking for help. Then images blossom out of nowhere. Complex mathematical charts, sequences of secret codes. I have tried to interpret them, to no avail. He paused to regulate his breathing. Then the man returns to tell me his story. He sighed. I used to fight against it, claw at my head to try to banish the demons inside. Now I draw comfort from their familiarity. I'm not sure how I'd survive without them after so long. He looked the doctor straight in the eye. I have seen how the future looks, doctor. I have seen it in my own mind. Now, you must help me to convince the world. I must be seeing these things for a reason. Perhaps you can make people listen. The old man had grown more animated as he told his story. The doctor stood, brushing himself. He jabbed his hands in his pockets. I'm sure you are hearing these things for a reason, Mephistus, and we'll do everything we can to help, won't we, Perry? He emphasised those last three words, casting Perry a quick look to ensure she wasn't about to argue with him. Now... You say you transcribed all of this down somewhere? He glanced around the room, his eyes coming to rest on the stack of manuscripts in the corner by the makeshift bed. Mephistus was already on his feet, energised by virtue of the fact he'd found himself a willing ear. Yes, it's all in here, Doctor. He reached over and reclaimed a book from the top of the pile. Everything is in there, all the proof you need. The doctor turned the book over in his hands. It consisted of a sheaf of parchment loosely bound together between two ancient wooden boards. 
He allowed it to fall open in his hands and then, having second thoughts, reached into the chest pocket of his blazer and searched out his glasses. He balanced them studiously on the end of his nose before peering at the pages in front of him. They were covered in a scrawl of spidery Latin and bizarre geometric line drawings, star charts and astrological symbols. He flicked through a handful of pages, rustling the paper as he carefully scanned through the barely legible print. Fascinating. The doctor looked up over the half-moons of his spectacles. Perry was watching Mephistus as he fished around in his pile of papers. Doctor, could we have a moment outside? The doctor frowned. What? Oh, I, I suppose so. He folded the book shut for a moment and tucked it away under his arm. He followed Perry out into the light, squinting as his eyes tried to adjust to the glare. Doctor, aren't we just wasting our time? I think Mephistus may be half mad, not to mention delusional, and we're meant to be here for a relaxing break. Sightseeing, you promise me, nothing but a quick sightseeing trip. She kicked at the ground sheepishly, her hands clutched tightly behind her. The doctor pushed his glasses further up his nose. Perry, you know things are never that simple. Mephistus is half mad, but there's clearly a reason for it. Look at these. He shifted round to stand beside her and brought the book out from under his arm. He opened it, turned a couple of pages and beckoned her to lean in. She put her hand on his shoulder as she scanned the spread of pages he indicated. Oh. She didn't know what else to say. The pages were filled with elaborate drawings, containing what looked like a star chart, a series of spatial coordinates, lines of binary, a sketch of a space vessel, schematics and wiring diagrams, things that Mephistus couldn't possibly be aware of in this time period, at least without interference of some kind. Things, in fact, that even Perry herself had no real concept of. Her voice was a whisper. What does it all mean? The doctor folded the book away again. It means he's telling the truth. But this is no prophecy from the future. He collected his glasses from where they were perched on his nose, waving them for emphasis. This is an SOS. With that, he dipped his head and disappeared back into the gloom of Mephistus's doorway, leaving Perry standing out in the sunshine, unsure what she was supposed to do next. After a moment had passed, still none the wiser, she followed the doctor back into the unpleasant outbuilding that passed for Mephistus's home. I've got it! The doctor leapt up from the chair, nearly knocking the table over and sending Mephistus into a fit of coughing and spluttering. Perry, standing behind the old man, managed to steady him on his feet whilst they waited for the coughing fit to pass. The doctor was beaming at them both, brandishing Mephistus's book in both hands. They're using a Fenniman radio! Mephistus had a dumbfounded expression written all over his face. Perry put her hand on her hip and sighed. Okay, you better start from the beginning. The doctor laid the book on the table before them. Looking through the book, he glanced at the old man, I kept coming across one word, one word that repeats itself over and over again in these messages. Methuselah. The old man's face lit up in recognition. The guy from the Bible? Perry shuffled out of the way for Mephistus, who was inching closer to the doctor, keen to hear more. Yes, but also the name of an experimental hyperspace vessel built by the Americans in the early part of the 22nd century. The first, in fact, to be designed and built by the human race. 
The doctor smiled, evidently pleased with his deduction. It was lost on its maiden voyage. What happened? When the hyperspace drive was initiated, it misfired, and the ship simply disappeared, never to rematerialize. It was thought lost, kicked to the end of the universe, and never heard from again. The five crew members and their captain were all assumed dead. The families held ceremonies, and the hyperdrive program was dropped for another hundred years. The doctor looked excited, as if the best news was still to come. Go on. Mephistus was enraptured by the doctor's performance. It was clear he didn't understand half of what the Time Lord was saying, but his face was a picture of sheer delight, vindicated at last after all this time. Now, it appears that the crew actually did survive and lashed up some kind of primitive transmission device to send an SOS back in time. It's all in here. He leafed through the pages of the book. Coordinates, map references, everything we need to find them. He put a hand on the old man's shoulder. Somehow, you've become the receptacle for their distress call. You were right all along. The whispers in your head were real. The doctor was full of energy now, caught up in his own enthusiasm. He continued flicking through the book, looking for more clues. Perry noticed that the old man had begun quietly weeping, his shoulders shaking as he leaned heavily on his staff. She took him by the hand and guided him to his makeshift cot. He lowered himself slowly onto his bed of reeds, burying his face in his hands. Perry propped his staff beside him and returned anxiously to the doctor. I think it's all been too much for him. It must be strange to hear you right after so many years of people telling you you were wrong. She folded her arms over her chest. Well, what do we do now? We mount a rescue operation. The doctor seemed suddenly serious. From what I can ascertain from Mephistus's ramblings, the rumours were right. The Methuselah really was kicked all the way to the end of time. If these coordinates and charts are right, they're facing oblivion at the heat death of the universe. He ran a hand through his hair. And you have the coordinates? Let's go then. The doctor shook his head. You stay here with Mephistus. It's clear he's developed some kind of psychic link with the transmission device. When I break that connection, well, I'm not sure what effect it might have. He lowered his voice, taking Perry by the hand. You heard what he said. He's not sure how he could live without the voices. His grip on reality is tenuous as it is. You need to keep an eye on him whilst I'm gone. Make sure he doesn't break down completely. Perry pulled a face, clearly unhappy with the suggestion. Is there no other way? The doctor gave her a reproachful look. She caught hold of his arm as he moved to fetch his hat from the table. Don't abandon me here. What if something happens? The doctor made light of the sudden panic in her tone. I'll be back before you know it. He popped his hat back on his head as he moved to the door, Mephistus's book tucked safely under his arm. Now, which way was the TARDIS? The Methuselah hung in the empty void like a piece of flotsam adrift on an ocean of night. Buffeted by solar winds and constantly assaulted by the intense heat of the collapsing star it orbited, the vessel looked like nothing so much as a tiny insect buzzing ineffectually around a light bulb. The main section of the ship was composed of a thin ribbon of steel which hung on long cables between two drifting nacelles, both of which glowed with a fierce electric blue as they fought against the constant pull of the star and oblivion. 
All around it, in every direction, the stars had winked out as the universe had grown old and tired, leaving the crew with the notion that the ship had been smothered in a blanket of the purest black. Only the russet-coloured gas of a nearby nebula and the fierce red glow of the dying star gave them any sense that they were still within the boundaries of the universe itself. On board, the crew had already reconciled themselves to their inevitable deaths. Pulled inexorably into the event horizon of the collapsing star, delayed only by the struggle of their failing engines, they knew it was only a matter of days, if not hours, before the ship and her entire contents were vaporized, reduced to steam, gas, and carbon dust. Gallo's humor had set in, and following an initial flurry of activity involving an attempt to slingshot themselves out of the star's gravity well and the rigging of an experimental communications device to send an SOS, apathy had not been far behind. The crew had taken to spending long hours gathered in the observation lounge, the heat shields and visual filters down, enabling them to look out at the empty universe and ponder what had become of their loved ones back on Earth, and what, if anything, awaited them beyond the event horizon of the imploding star. It was into this scene that the TARDIS materialized, accompanied by the strange whooping, grinding sound that had the crew scrambling for cover. Most were under the impression that the Methuselah had finally started to break up under the intense pressure, peeling open like a tin can and spilling them out into the heart of the furnace that was raging down beneath them. When, instead, a police box appeared in the middle of the recreation area and a man in a cricket outfit stepped out, as one, the crew decided something far worse had occurred, that their proximity to the star and their exposure to the experimental engines had rendered them utterly insane. The doctor stepped into the room, surveyed the five people peering out from behind their acceleration chairs, and tipped his hat politely in their direction. Did somebody send an SOS? Perry was starting to feel nervous. After the doctor had left and Mephistus had finally stopped weeping, he had apologised to her for his emotional outburst and then fallen into a deep sleep on his cot. She'd been careful not to disturb him as she turned the chair round to face the bed and collapsed back into it herself, taking the opportunity to rest for a while. She found herself feeling sorry for the man. He'd given up his entire life in the pursuit of something he believed in, and now, finally, after years of living as an outcast and suffering dreadful abuse, he'd finally found himself proved right by a strange visitor from the future. She let him rest, hoping that it wouldn't be long before the Doctor found his way back from the end of the universe. It had not been long, however, before the old man had woken, screaming, and now, as she watched him pacing the room angrily, she was undecided whether to attempt to tackle him or not. She certainly started to rethink her position of empathy. He glowered at her as he clawed at the blackened walls, knocking his stack of papers to the floor with a swift kick, Gone was the old, decrepit man she had seen before, curled up peacefully on his bunk, instead replaced by a foul-mouthed jerk who, for some reason, had decided to trash his own hovel whilst she was forced to cower across the other side of the room. Mephistus, come on! Aren't you going to tell me what's wrong? She raised her voice in an effort to get through to him. The prophet stopped for a moment, spinning around and brandishing his staff in her direction. His eyes flashed with ire and despair. The voices, the voices have stopped. You 
Promise me the voices wouldn't stop. He dropped his staff to the floor and returned to his original pursuit, using his broken, bloodied fingernails to score furrows in the mouldy fuzz that covered the walls. She could hear him whispering to himself under his breath, Doctor! 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 Perry willed the doctor to return as quickly as possible. If it wasn't soon, she wasn't sure what he was going to find when he did. Through the viewing port and the protection of the visual filter, the doctor faced the raging surface of the star, watching it boil away angrily beneath him like a sea of red flame. He could feel the Methuselah bucking as the nacelles struggled to keep it from falling into the ambered low. He turned to Captain Morrow, who was standing beside him on the bridge, her coveralls dirty from days of ingrained sweat and grime. Angry, isn't it? He indicated the bubbling surface of the star. It's an angry universe, Doctor. The Time Lord seemed suddenly thoughtful. I suppose it is. The woman glanced behind her at the sound of footsteps clanging on metal plates. A man appeared in the gangway behind them, leaning heavily on the hatch. All finished up, Captain. He nodded at the doctor, wiping perspiration from his eyes. Captain Morrow allowed herself a smile. Thanks, Wilson. Go and join the others in the doctor's ship. We'll be with you in a moment. She glanced up at the doctor for confirmation. He nodded his assent. When the footsteps had died away again, the doctor cleared his throat. He didn't take his eyes from the fluctuating surface of the star far below them. This is not a failure, you know. Captain Morrow sighed. Doctor, we nearly died out here. The hyperspace drive wasn't ready. We should never have tried it with people aboard. It was too early. Too much of a risk. The doctor reached out to the ship's control console and picked up a small device he found there, turning it over in his hands. Its polished steel surface glinted in the waning light. That's what I love about humans. You find it so hard to see how far you've come. Even here, at the very end of the universe, you're arguing about failure. This ship is a remarkable achievement. You've braved a new frontier for humanity. That should be celebrated. You'll get it right, sooner or later. And in the meantime, you'll learn from your mistakes. No one died, this time. He fiddled with a transistor attached to the underside of the device in his hands. Captain Morrow was silent, her eyes lingering on the darkness beyond the light of the dying star. Take this radio. Under intense pressure, your crew managed to fashion a device that let you send an SOS back in time from spare components found aboard the ship. Well, it's far from perfect, but it served its purpose well enough. He placed the transmitter back on the control desk and rested his hand on the woman's shoulder. Their eyes met. Come on. Time to say goodbye. The doctor led her away from the bridge and back towards the TARDIS, which was waiting for them in the observation lounge. <laughs> I still can't believe we can all fit inside that tiny box. Uh, yes, well, in my experience, it's best not to place people in boxes at all, Captain Morrow. She smiled. Call me Jennifer. He nodded. Let's get you home, Jennifer. She stepped into the TARDIS, disappearing over the threshold into the console room. The doctor moved to follow her, then, on a second thought, turned and walked briskly back to the bridge where he picked up the makeshift radio transmitter and began fiddling with one of the controls. 
Mephistus, I really think it's best if you just try to breathe. Just trust me, you'll feel a whole lot better for it. Perry didn't even sound convincing to herself. For the last two hours, she'd watched as the old man had reduced himself to a state of near exhaustion, bashing himself off the walls and wearing his fingers down to a bloody mess. Every time she tried to get near him, he'd lashed out, once even catching her in the face and sending her sprawling painfully to the floor. She'd bloodied her knee in the fall, and ever since she'd chosen to stay out of his way, hoping that eventually he'd run out of steam. Now the man was clearly deranged, and worse, the doctor's fears had proved true. With the transmissions ended, the lack of voices had tipped him over the edge, and now he was teetering on the brink of total insanity. Perry didn't know what else she could do. She wrung her hands in frustration, thinking about making a run for it before she really got hurt. Come on, doctor! At this, Mephistus turned to her suddenly still. She gazed back at him, wide-eyed with panic. The look in his eyes was terrifying, full of intensity, brimming with smouldering, unchecked emotion. He was only an old man, but his madness was violent and full of passion, and she felt threatened by the change that had come over him since the doctor had left. The prophet's head cocked to one side. Then, as if suddenly instilled with great purpose, he ran to the pile of papers he'd kicked to the ground earlier, grabbed a sheaf of loose leaves and cleared a space on the table with a sweep of his arm. He looked up at Perry from underneath his bushy brows. Quick, bring me a quill! The voices have returned! Perry hesitated. She didn't know if this was a good development. Wasn't the doctor meant to be rescuing the crew of the Methuselah? Why then should they suddenly start broadcasting their SOS again? Hurry! Before it's too late! Shrugging her shoulders and afraid of how he might react if she didn't comply with his wishes, she searched out a quill and a half-empty bottle of ink from under the table. Mephistus set to work immediately, his spidery scrawl filling the pages like a webwork of fine arteries and veins. After the commotion of the last few hours, the soft scratching of Mephistus's quill against the parchment seemed unbearably quiet to Perry. She stood, watching him from the other side of the room, unsure if his temperament was likely to change once again. His bloodied fingers shook as he tried to hold the quill steady in his ruined hands. After a few minutes, the old prophet placed his quill down carefully beside his sheaf of papers and sat back to admire his work. A wry smile was written across his face. He looked up at Perry, all malice gone from his expression. It's from the doctor. What? Perry ran to his side, her eyes flickering over the scratchy writing on the parchment in front of him. But I can't read Latin. Mephistus spread the pages out before them both. He says to be at peace now. My words and my writings have enabled him to save the lives of the people stranded in the future. My prophecy came true. <coughs> he coughed wretchedly, but soon regained his composure. He's on board the vessel now, watching the end of the universe. He says it's a sight to behold. The old man was smiling now, obviously calmed by the doctor's words. He leaned back in his chair. He says to tell you, he'll see you soon. Perry rolled her eyes, 
That sounded just like the doctor. Still wary of the old man, and conscious of the fact that his mood could change at any moment, she made her way over to his reed mattress and sat on the edge of it, waiting for the doctor to return. Perry leapt up at the sound of the familiar groaning hee-haw from the street outside Mephistus's hovel. She ran to the door, beaming at the sight of the TARDIS as it solidified in the cool night air, shimmering like a ghost of itself as it materialised. Behind her, Mephistus let out a startled gasp as he watched the door swing open and the doctor step out onto the street. Perry ran to his side. Doctor! Hello, Perry! He smiled, a big, jovial grin. Everything all right? Perry raised her eyebrows sarcastically. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Her eyes were shining in the low light. The doctor watched as Mephistus emerged from the doorway, leaning heavily on his staff. Doctor, I'm afraid I appear to have treated your young friend rather badly in your absence. He twitched nervously, as though afraid of a reprisal. When the voices stopped... He looked haunted, bereaved even, as if someone close to him had died. He didn't seem able to continue. The doctor glanced at Perry. It's over now, Mephistus. You were right. Your prophecies helped me to save lives today. You should be very proud. He patted the old man warmly on the arm. And besides, I brought you a present. The doctor reached into his blazer pocket and produced a large transistor taken from the radio transmitter on board the Methuselah. He held it out to Mephistus. Go on, take it. The old man looked warily at the strange piece of technology from the future. Oh, what is it? A paperweight. Use it to keep your writing safe. The doctor smiled. Everything will be fine, said Perry. The old man looked wary, but he accepted the gift, slipping it safely into the pocket of his tattered grey robes. Thank you, Doctor, for everything. He glanced sheepishly at Perry. And you, young lady, thank you. Perry was just happy to have the Doctor back again. She smiled at Mephistus. I hope things work out for you, okay? The old man turned around and, without saying another word, shuffled back into the dim interior of his makeshift home. The doctor turned to Perry. Come on, time for us to go. Smiling, she linked her arm through his and let him lead her back to the TARDIS. Perry leaned on the hexagonal console with her elbows, watching the steady rise and fall of the time rotor. The doctor danced around her, fiddling with the controls, pulling levers and twiddling knobs. Every few moments he stopped, looked at the monitor and then started again, cursing softly under his breath. Doctor? Hmm? Doctor? He looked up, his hair tangled in front of his eyes. Will he be okay? Will who be okay? He resumed his ministrations on the console. Mephistos, of course. It's just... You didn't see how he reacted when you stopped the transmissions. He went crazy, bouncing off the wall, scratching at the stone until his fingers bled. I didn't know what to do. She paused, gathering her thoughts. I just hope the silence doesn't drive him over the edge. The doctor stopped what he was doing and walked around the console to stand beside her. He'll be fine. 
The transistor I gave him was a part of the radio the crew of the Methuselah had used to send their messages back in time. It should retain just enough of a psychic link with the old man to pacify him. With any luck, its presence will help to soothe his troubled mind. Perry stood back from the console, a look of relief evident on her face. So that'll be the end of his prophecies, then? I wouldn't count on that. The doctor looked circumspect. Who knows what else or who else he may pick up in the future. His brain is like a beacon, shining out there in the darkness. Someone else is bound to see it, somewhere along the line. He paused for a moment, and then turned his attention back to the TARDIS's controls once again. Now, what about that sightseeing trip? Perry smiled. Great! Where to next? How about the end of the universe? Perry narrowed her eyes. What did you say? The doctor shrugged. I left my hat on the bridge of the Methuselah. Just a quick stop. It's on the way, after all. Doctor! And from the darkness he will emerge, like an ancient sun, bearing gifts of enlightenment and contradiction. He will fill our hearts with the light of other times, banish torment and suffering in his wake. Then, as if born on the very winds of the gods, he will return to the darkness in his chariot of blue fire. There he will face darkness and the many souls of the damned.